0: you're listening to the electronic media collective podcast network yeah it's a mouthful for more great shows like the one you're about to enjoy visit electronicmediacollective.com and now our feature
1: presentation in a world where film studios have pillaged every young adult novel dc every comic book series at Frankenstein every silver screen monster in search of the next movie mega franchise. Two nerds. Two movies. One cinematic universe. This is Jasper.
0: And this is Randy.
1: We watch two movies. That's two movies off of our list. I couldn't see that. I'm sorry. No. What swords. Do you, sword. Swords. Okay, swords. I was like, it what was are you swords. doing like Wolverine? It was
0: swords. <laughs> I guess, you know, at least the blades,
1: you, you portrayed
0: that. <laughs> yes. Yeah, so uh, we watched two movies. The movies were Lady Snowblood. And Kill Bill, Volume 1. That's right. So continuing our season Terran Therino, Quentin Tarantino theme. Hashtag Terran Therino. Uh We are back on chronological order, kind of, more or less, because we jumped out to do Death Proof last episode. That was a whoops on us. That was a little whoops, but uh, we're jumping back and Kill Bill Volume 1. We did indeed, as you can tell, split up Volume 1 and 2, and I did that so I had an excuse to watch more, uh, you know, martial arts movies or samurai movies or whatever. Swordsmen and women. Mm -hmm. And so, first, let's talk about Lady Snowblood from 1973. This is directed by Toshia Fujita, screenplay by Norio Asada. And there's several people. I'm only going to mention the one. Miko Kaji. I'm sorry if I butchered those names. Overview. Yuki's family is nearly wiped out before she is born due to the machinations of a band of criminals. These criminals kidnap and brutalize her mother, but leave her alive as in her mother. Later, her mother ends up in prison with only revenge to keep her alive. She creates an instrument for this revenge by purposefully getting pregnant Yuki never knows the love of a family, but only killing and revenge. Dun, dun, dun. 1973. Lady Snowblood. Oh, I'm so excited to talk about this one. Uh so Lady Snowblood, there are a lot of Tarantino the reason we paired this with Kill Bill is he he pulled he lifted a lot of there's a lot of influence from lots of movies, but especially Lady Snowblood for something like Kill Bill. I mean, this is straight up just it's all about vengeance. You know, the character is supposed to basically, like, they're molding her into vengeance.
1: She's an instrument of death and revenge.
0: Yeah. But there are several shots. The, the premise of, like, she... I mean, she's she's Uma Thurman in Kill Bill through this whole movie. To keep going to the shots of the uh, the people she's supposed to get revenge on, even though she'd never actually met them. It's so basically... She got her list and this movie also does. And this is one of the things that I was like, Oh my God, does the chapters it's broken into chapters. I want to say it jumps back and forth a little bit. It feels a little bit more linear in terms of like the actual plot that we're following. Like kill bill kind of jump really jumps around a bit. This basically just has a lot of flashbacks, but otherwise it's not like we're watching her kill them out of order. You know, we're following her present day quote unquote story pretty linearly.
1: There was a point in that I had to like backtrack because I was like whoa 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 hold on wait like the flashbacks kind of got me cuz I'm not I think it's like I'm not used to how they just kind of went right into another one and I was like whoa okay who who's pregnant here like <laughs> <laughs> okay so Jasper hmm? had you heard of this movie and have you ever seen it no and, and
0: no <laughs> what are your initial impressions
1: okay so now i think about it it was this I wanted to point out with this and Kill Bill. It was more, what I like about these movies it was more uh realistic. Mm-hmm. Not, of course, like the flips or whatever. We always have to have the flips in every movie we watch. <laughs> yeah, apparently. Anyway. <laughs> but no, like the swordplay felt like it was, you know, realistic. It wasn't overdone. Over, okay. You know, that's what I respected about this movie was it just, you know, kind of made like swift moves and then. hmm Blood spraying just everywhere. Ridiculous <laughs> blood, yeah. Yeah.
0: Okay, so I had seen this before, mm-hmm. if you couldn't tell by my enthusiastic introduction of it. This is my second viewing of this. And I like this a lot. I actually think I come down to my rating a little bit on the second viewing. The movie kind of blew me away the first time I watched it. Because at the time, I was on a big samurai kick. I'd watched a bunch of the Zatoichi movies, which we'll talk about more in the future, I'm hopefully and Lady Snowblood was one that had kind of been on my list and it kind of blew me away because in there's a lot of samurai movies that are really well made but to me like this is stylistic in a in a way that others aren't from that time period anyway it does jump around a bit it is kind of unconventional it has the chapters which is which I thought is interesting and it's an interesting uh premise and I'm they even kind of play with the chapters which I thought was cool like chapter 4 he writes chapter four because normally the chapters just pop up, but chapter four is actually, they have a guy write it. He writes chapter four and then he doesn't put the title because he doesn't know yet. And then some, another character comes in, crosses that out. And then later we get chapter four again with the actual title. So I just like the like false start to the chapter of the movie. Uh, it's kind on. of, yeah, it's <laughs> kind of, it plays with the medium of the movie itself. And then also there's just a lot of kind of the cinematography is amazing. I love the look of this movie. Like there's so many good looking shots and then early in the movie. So once we finally, like, I think it's when we're first introduced to adult Yuki, our main character. And it's that scene, Jasper, where she's like walking down the, it's like a snowy street kind of uh, street, but walkway. Mm -hmm. And there's the wall there. And there's obviously just like maybe a building or something behind them. Uh, And listener, this is like period piece. Um, I can't remember what era it says, but, you know.
1: I want to say 18 something.
0: Yeah, it was where there's still, you know, in movie world, there's still MFers running around with swords, Mm -hmm. but there are guns. Guns do come into play at some point. And like a lot of movies I've seen from, you know, not just Japan, but there's a lot of uh, Chinese. There's a lot of kung fu movies that deal with this, too, of when, you know when the European influence started to come into the nation and this touches on that towards the end. So that's the time period of this movie, but anyway, so she's walking down the street and first off it looks good, but it looks like a set and it looks like it intentionally looks like a set where beyond like the wall behind them and maybe like a little snow here or there and the ground um, around them, it's pitch black, not like night black, like stage black. Mm Mm-hmm. The walkway goes down and then it goes over this little bridge. And at the end, there's nothing. It doesn't keep going down into a street. There's not like houses. It's just goes to straight black. It's like, well, that's the end of the set. And the same with the other way. There's not even like a little bridge or a wall. It just stops and it's pitch black. And I think that was a super interesting stylistic decision. And I think it looks great. It doesn't look cheap. It looks intentionally like surreal The rest of the world doesn't matter. This is where what you're watching is happening. This is what you need to focus on. And everything else is just black. We don't need it. It's kind of
1: like watching it as like a theater play. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And I feel like that also kind of sets up the overly dramatic, not dramatic, the over, it is overly dramatic, but like the the epic tragedy nature of it, you know? Yeah. Like an old play. A theatrical tragedy.
1: Yeah. Kind of like how you said where it's like they want you to focus on what's like right in the middle.
0: Yeah, and right in the middle is people getting sliced. <laughs> That's the important <laughs> thing with blood spray.
1: Bright red, bright red blood spray.
0: Again, initially watched this while I was in the middle of a big samurai kick. So I've watched a whole lot of samurai movies from the late 50s into the 70s. And they don't most of them don't do the bright red blood spray like this. Some do, like if you get into the the Lone Wolf and Cub movies or a Samurai Shogun movie. They do this, but it's, it's not super common. But, dude, the blood spray in this, it amuses me to no end because there's no attempt to make it realistic. They don't want it to be realistic. <laughs> Somebody loses a head or an arm or something, and Kill Bill does the exact same thing. And there's that beat, that quick, that boom, cut off. Wait, just a split second. And then, and it's just like somebody's got their, their finger on the end of a garden hose. And that's what it sounds like. Like, they m- intentionally make it sound ridiculous. <laughs> spray. Like, later, I don't know, there's a body or something. Like, do you know like,
1: how high your blood pressure would have to be to spray your blood out? <laughs> like There's good atmospheric moments
0: to where, you know, a bunch of the enemies are defeated. And, like, where's the last one? And it's all quiet and tense, right? And then the whole time, one of the bodies still has, like, a constant blood trickle going. And it doesn't sound just like it's not like a blood drip or something. It sounds like somebody just left the hose on low and it's just like a constant garden hose running into the grass or something like it just sounds or a stream. It's ridiculous, but stylized and fun. I think that was great.
1: <laughs> just the amount of like just chopping limbs. and
0: There are things in this movie in Lady Snowblood in terms of violence that I mean, nothing that like disturbs me, but there's things that definitely the first time I watched it shocked me. Because of its time period and because it is on the more extreme spectrum of samurai movies. There's a character that hung themselves, and maybe we can get into it. It's spoiler, so maybe we can get into it a little bit more because I have I'm curious about that. But to make sure the character's dead or that, you know, just out of frustration, Yuki then chops the person in half like you know, horizontally, not vertically, but chops them in half. So then the bottom half of their body falls and it's just the top half of their body just hanging. And I'm just like, whoa, (laughs) whoa, that's unexpected. So, yeah, the whole thing is the evil act took place before our main character was ever born. Mm -hmm. And I was kind of thinking, like, she's the offspring of, thankfully, the movie doesn't focus on it, but the inevitable rape scene, you know, Mm -hmm. our band of villains. You know, basically kills this one lady's, there was a kid there, but I didn't see them actually kill the kid, but kills their husband, I guess their boy, and then apparently has their way with her in a windmill area for like days on end, opposed, I guess. Luckily it doesn't focus too heavy on there, but when it does, that scene is weird and creepy and kind of like, I appreciate how they handled it. So I was thinking, well, Yuki is their offspring. That's not even the case. The mother eventually went to prison and then while in prison uh, made a point to get with every guard and every priest and whoever else she could until she got pregnant. So she's just the, the offspring of her mother and some random whoever.
1: One prison of guard. Yeah.
0: <laughs> and uh, for the purpose of like, the mother's like, I'm going to have a baby to have revenge so that she can go and take revenge. And fortunately, her or other prisoners, because her mother dies just after childbirth have connections to people who are willing to raise a child for the purpose of becoming the angel of death.
1: She kind of also, like, acknowledges and, and apologizes to her for being born out of vengeance. Mm-hmm. Like, she's like, you know, your poor soul, but you're going to be...
0: This is not going to be a good life. Yeah,
1: this is not going to be a good life for you. And then the guy sh- she gets trained by is, like, the biggest ****hole you've ever met. Like,
0: I mean, if I guess if you're trying to train in the an assassin intense from intense look he has <laughs> like, <laughs> I get like, it's interesting. Cause he gives her some conflicting stuff when she's, so we get the classic, like kind of training montage scenes, but it's, it's not really training montage. It's classic, uh, samurai movie or Kung Fu movie or whatever martial arts movie thing of flashbacks to when they were a kid and they're training some of the training they went through. And yeah, no, he was, he was a jerk and mm-hmm. very hard on her and beat the crap out of her when she was little. And, but whatever, eventually made her an a, an awesome bad ass assassin. But once she's older, at one point, and I guess I get his point here too, he's like, you're just going to have to wait. Like, I know you're so close to getting this one person that's on your list, but you're, you know, just have patience. Mm-hmm. A Buddha's not going to be upset if you actually stop and enjoy yourself once in a while. It's like, yeah, dude, maybe... You could have told her that once or twice when she was a kid because like, no, she's an adult now. This is her entire life and you've trained her never to relax, never to be happy. Like you can't be like, you know what? Maybe it's okay. I don't know. Conflicting, conflicting messages from that guy. But then again, he was older. Maybe he got older and is like, you know what? That thing we did where we turned her into an assassin was probably kind of a bad thing. (laughs) Probably kind of crappy.
1: I'm not. I'm sorry. I'm, I was the, the father figure I was supposed to be. I just taught you to kill and never let you be a child.
0: I do like some of that training stuff. I love the barrels thing because, first off, that looks fun until she hits the rock Whereas they put her in the barrel. It's like you have to hold, st- stay in the barrel. Don't let yourself get flung out until the barrel stops naturally. Well, I'm, when it hits a rock, it stops naturally. Okay. But. It that's hits, what I was
1: like. I kind of thought to myself, I'm like, dude, it hit a rock, man. You, you're lucky that barrel didn't break and concussion.
0: But it hits a rock and she just – I watched this with Melanie actually. Uh, it would have been fun to have her here. But I watched this with Melanie and I don't know why she let me make her watch this. And that's how I feel about it. I made her watch this because it's this not something she'd watch on her own. <laughs> but when the when the barrel hit the rock, it hit the rock and the little girl went boom. She just like, like flies out the side. Melly just started cracking up.
1: I also like how it looks when she does fall. It looks like someone off camera just threw her, like just chucked her over into the grass. Like
0: So listener, I don't know how old she's supposed to be, but very little kid in the barrel, barrels flying. It was like rolling down a hill, hits a rock. And, but when it hits a rock, it does the thing where it's like, just shoots this small body shaped thing straight out the side. And then I think you get one shot of like probably a dummy, a child-sized dummy flying through the air super fast. And then when she lands, you get a shot of, like Jasper said, it's just like a kid that looks like somebody just like kind of gently tossed from off just off camera. So the speed doesn't really work. The trajectory doesn't really work. And I feel like they sped up the footage a little bit to seem more extreme. Mm -hmm. It's very humorous. (laughs) But there's other training stuff I thought was cool. Like was it swords? I think he was training her on swords or something, but how he had a rope that he tied around both their waists. So she couldn't like get away from him. Like at Mm -hmm. no point could she actually like get more than like he could hit her with the sword pretty much.
1: Right. Which is basically engagement training. Don't back up. Like you can't get out of it. You have
0: to like deal with this situation. So I, I liked stuff like that. I thought that was cool. I liked the plot. I liked that. She comes across the one again, very kill bill. She's got a list of people. So the movie is tracking these people down and dealing with them. The one guy is very much the Viva K. Fox character from Kill Bill. Only he doesn't have his stuff together. She tracks the guy down. He's got a daughter and his daughter's not in a great way. Like they're just not in a good way, but he's more of a, just a drunk. He's not really, he's of course, he's always going to be a villain. He's a rapist and a murderer, but you know, he's, he's just drunk in his house all the time. There's really nothing to him. So it's not as straightforward as just show up. These people are just still doing villainous things and kill them. Like they kind of have moved on and have other things going on in their life. So I like that aspect of it to where it's like, yeah, this is not a good dude, but there's people in his life. There's still consequences to this revenge. You said, Jasper, Mm -hmm. before the show, the only thing you really said to me about this movie was it was boring. I think, okay, so. Uh, let's get your real opinions out, man. No,
1: no. Well, my thing was, now you said on the, when you watched, only one or two sentences were gone out of the translation. I had like minutes without any words translated.
0: Mm-hmm. Our version was probably. You you totally
1: turn the subtitles on, right? Yeah. Okay.
0: Uh, like minutes? Well, what was
1: funny, though, is I was trying to. I try. I had to say this on the podcast because it was funny. I was trying to use my phone with Google Translate and I had it next to the TV. <laughs> I was trying to see if it translated, translate it, but it didn't. It trans- like one or two words, but the
0: story is pretty straightforward. I mean, there's a few scenes where if you were missing the subtitles. So, yeah, I have a copy of this. The only other way to stream this is through, I think, the uh, Criterion. Streaming service, wherever that's at now. It seems like they've moved around a is couple that like times. Studio Criterion. No Criterion. the The Criterion Collection. The Criterion. God, you don't know what Criterion is. It's amazing.
1: Well, you don't. Listener. I know what Criterion is, but you don't want to know what I I know it as. Some
0: video game thing. Yep,
1: that's yeah. a publishing company. <laughs> they made Burnout. Really, I'm sorry. Take Springer. down Burnout. Yeah, it was made by Criterion. They use a engine. They have their own engine. Oh,
0: okay. Yeah. Sorry? Told Not you. the same company.
1: I told you you weren't gonna like it. But
0: listen, Burnout 3 was amazing. True. So basically, Criterion is like they're known for they're a distributor, but they're known for buying classic film snobs like Criterion, right? Okay, so mm-hmm. they're known for buying classic, uh classic cinema, like the best of whatever. You know, you can get a bunch of the uh classic French new wave stuff on there and a bunch of
1: uh so kind of like indie somewhat I
0: guess I mean the, the movies don't always have to be indie but
1: yeah like a
0: you know it's like the masterpiece theater of of movies right like just mm-hmm. take that attitude and that's kind of what it is you know and they have quite a few interesting samurai movies in there but i would agree that a lot well, of them are say classics. Like, this is, seems like the most non-criterion movie to have in there
1: so it's kind of like turner classic movies kind of like i mean having that kind that of vault. but the vault basically
0: yeah yeah Yeah. i think they probably have higher standards than tcm but they all also occasionally pick up more modern movies too it just depends
1: did you also see in this movie like so in kill bill so like when they unsheathed their sword they made sure it was like very steady this one seemed like maybe the sword was like kind of heavy for her because the tip would like go down a little bit when she pulled it out I wonder if that was just kind of, they didn't really focus on like this. I'll say Wednesday this much. Cinematography of the sh- the sword coming out. But. So like the main, our main character, the the
0: main actress in this movie, I think she's pretty good in this. Mm-hmm. She's got a wicked mean face. Like when she gets that death stare, like you're about mm-hmm. to die. Like I'd be so intimidated by in, it. Like the she, intense eyes. <laughs> she's got a hardcore, uh, what's the rest, RBF mm-hmm. resting.
1: Resting bulldog face. There is, we go.
0: That's pretty good. That's pretty good. Yeah, I like that. However, and it's not an issue,
1: but I could tell
0: she's not really that adept with a sword. Like some of there's there's a few of the fight scenes where she's doing moves, and I'm like, probably could have trained on that one a little, a little bit. Yeah, it seemed, <laughs> it
1: seemed like she was like kind of disconnected from like fluid moves. You know what I mean?
0: yeah. yeah that's kind of it. It wasn't super fluid. She's not really... Yeah, a,
1: but that's, like, the first thing I picked up movie. on is when she, like, unsheathes a sword and it, like, tips down. So I wonder if they used an actual, like, 15, 20-pound katana, and it was just like, oh, you know? Probably, yeah.
0: Most of the time, though, she's got just a small umbrella blade, that blade inside of her umbrella.
1: That is a cool blade, though. Yeah, it
0: is cool. It is cool.
1: My uncle had one of those, the cane, cane swords. So it looked like just a big wooden cane, and he pull it out, and it was a full-length
0: blade. The movie really focuses on one main character. Mm-hmm. We get a lot of narration, not even from necessarily from her, but we get a lot of narration as to like backstory and this and that, which would be a problem if your subtitles for whatever reason weren't working. But normally I think that's kind of lazy. But I feel like this movie did some interesting things. It kind of experimented with delivering this. Mm-hmm. Like there's one part where there's a scene to establish the scenario of which this bad situation happened. It's got to give you some. World history, right? Mm -hmm. And I thought it did that in an interesting way because it transitions out of a scene by the here's a scene, and we're looking at our main character. The camera's gonna zoom past her up to the wall where there's like basically some writing on the wall for whatever reason behind her, and it's like a map. And then it goes straight into here's the map, and it's like giving you this like world history. And I like that just the little transitions into and out of that. There's also some like artwork, some scenes where there's like drawn characters and stuff. Like, they just did a bunch of different things. It kind of reminds me how, for example, Kill Bill does, like, randomly goes to an anime section. Like, it's just different stuff to set up these characters' backstories. It's not just a dude saying, here's the backstory or here's the world history. It's like, how can we do that, but also display it visually in a way that's interesting or unique? It's not just, here's words on a screen. And at one point, the 70s invade. (laughs) The movie feels fairly non, I mean, it looks like a 70s movie. It's got some of the 70s, like samurai trope stuff, the blood spray and stuff like that and the music. But then I want to say the last act of the movie, the 70s invade hard when the reporter guy comes in and before it even really kicked full 70s, listener, I'm not, don't be confused. The movie doesn't transition into the 70s. I'm just saying the 70s invade that time period (laughs) because the guy shows up and I'm like, you know, I don't know what it is about this guy. He looks still kind of period appropriate, but at the same time, super 70s. And I think it's because his haircut's not completely out of place for that time period, but it's big. Like, it's just poofy, and I'm like, something 70s about that guy. And then the music gets super 70s and funky. Like, at some point, the music turns, all right? The mm-hmm. music gets super funky. And this would, in your case, if you were bored by it, it would, would be a good thing because I feel like the pace increases up till then, it's interesting. You know, we're just kind of plodding through this like vengeance story, you get some backstory, and then the third act happens, and it's like all of a sudden there's a bunch of energy from the '70s injected into it.
1: I was gonna ask you, I don't know if it was a a artistic thing or they couldn't zoom in, but where they do that really like shaky zoom in, like it was like, and then it'd like go one and then like three. <laughs> Man, like you, three times, and then it come back out. But
0: you need to watch more seventies movies. That's called a seventies zoom, my friend.
1: Yeah. Well, I didn't. Welcome
0: well, to the seventies. Like, God, I can't believe, dude. It's so amazing. No, I'm glad. I'm glad. Glad we're doing this podcast, Jasper. Sometimes I'm like, I'm like, I wonder how that comes across to the listener, right? Like, Jasper clearly, like, he's not as well versed in movies,
1: quote unquote, older movies, yeah, non CGI movies. <laughs> <Jeez>. <laughs> I mean, let's just
0: in anything that's not MCU. Mm -hmm. you're not as very well versed in movies and movie history as I assume of a lot of our listeners are. But then, then you're like, why did they do this thing? The zoom in the seventies, the certain zoom, why did they, why did they do that? And then I'm like, I'm so glad you're doing this because it's kind of fun discovering
1: some of these things with you. So, uh, it's not so bad. (laughs) Yeah, because I was like, well, it was funny to me because it would like zoom in and then it'd shake real bad and uh-huh. then it'd back out and then it'd go right back in, like, uh-huh. and then it'd shake real bad. And I'm like, Jesus. Okay. <laughs> it's like if I'm holding the camera. I'm glad right. I'm
0: glad you mentioned that. There are so there's a lot of handheld camera stuff in this, which it's not, you know, totally uncommon or unique for like older movies, 60s, 70s, but I feel like this kind of movie from that time period it is somewhat uncommon to see that much handheld stuff, handheld camera footage. Sometimes I think it works. Like there's a section, I want to say it's towards the end where she's like walking through a building or a house and it's following like the camera is handheld. Like we're with her. We're following her right through all the hallways. You know, it feels very stylized, but kind of natural. And it feels kind of modern to me just the way that scene's done.
1: Mm-hmm. But
0: then there's parts like at the beginning where the camera's are kind of up high and it's an external scene and they're bringing the camera down. And it's just shaking all over the place. And I'm like, probably, first off, I, I looked at Melanie. I was like, they need to invent the steady cam. The Shining needs to happen. When did the Shining happen? That's when the good steady cam came into existence. This, I can't do this. It was super shaky. And I'm like, just lock it down, man. We don't need that little bit of camera movement. It's not doing anything interesting. Lock it down. Right. There were a couple shots that I was like, probably could have backed off the handheld a little bit. That said, yeah, I don't know. Some of it worked. Some of it. Dude, ca- uh,
1: it, it had almost like cameras a- were heavy,
0: dude. Seventies yeah. cameras were heavy, and if they're doing handheld, that's somebody holding. Dude, think about it. These are big, and then when you zoom in, you have to. Well, I'm sure you've maybe done this on a phone or with an actual camera. Like you zoom in and hold, any little tiny shake just seems like it's intensified. Yeah, when you're zoomed in, that's exactly mm-hmm. it's the same. That's why they're just like it's the '70s, so they're going to do these quick zooms. <laughs> They're gonna do it. They don't care.
1: Yeah, that's because that's how I was just. I was wondering. I was like, wow, those those zooms are shaky.
0: I know I already mentioned it, but the look of it, it's very saturated. Like the reds are intense red. Colors are very saturated, but there's also a lot of scenes like in snow where there's a lot of white, or and you know just that kind of thing. It's very stylized and colorful. What did you think of the story?
1: I was kind of intrigued by the whole revenge. Mm-hmm. Like you were made. Or revenge, you know, yeah. there is some parts, like I said, there is like uncomfortable, like basically in the first training where she's like a young kid and he basically just cuts her clothes off. And I was like, okay. yeah. Like,
0: there's, there's a naked little girl for a, a moment. Yeah. I was yeah, like, am when I, I was,
1: am I even okay to watch this? <laughs> it, like,
0: it, it struck me as weird the, both times. I mean, it's okay. So she's so young. You're not seeing anything, right? Like hmm. she's so young. She's not like developed or anything. It could be a little boy. It could be, it doesn't matter.
1: I almost said what I thought it would be. It's actually a little boy, but, but
0: either way, it is weird. It's innocent. Like it's an innocent scene. There's nothing weird to it, but I find it weird to watch. And when I was watching it with Melanie, she didn't comment on it, but when it happened, I had forgot. And I was like, Oh, it's weird.
1: It's like, my thing is that you just in day and age of cinema now, you'd even, they wouldn't even try no, to do no, that. No, I don't think so. So.
0: Yeah, yeah, it's it's strange. But again, in the context of the movie and stuff, it's, you know, it's not weird. It's not like she sh- he stripped her naked to do anything weird. It's just they're fighting and he cut her clothes
1: off. You know what? Right.
0: These things happen when you're a samurai. Okay, well, they're not really samurai, but you know what I mean.
1: It's like you are ready to fight a samurai. You know what? You're going to cut my clothes off. I'm just going to start now.
0: <laughs> He's the naked samurai. Okay. All right. Well, I had a question. First off, spoilers, the lady, there's one lady on the list. When they finally get to the lady and she hangs herself or hung herself, do you think she was dead? I would believe so. I thought so the first time and I was like, well, she cut her and, and then because that's the one that then Yuki cuts her in half mm-hmm. and I'm like, you know, she's frustrated because she was robbed that murder, but Melanie was like. She's faking it. And I'm like, I, maybe because it's got that cut to her eyes and it almost looks like her eyes are looking at Yuki as she's like kind of turning up there. Mm-hmm. So maybe her ploy was to make it look like she hung herself till she left and then climb down. I I don't know how that would work.
1: But I mean, it's, if, you're, I feel like, if you're a killer though, you got to make sure she's dead. So. Well, that's the
0: thing. I'm like, if that's her plan, that's a bad plan. You're better off. Just, just keep running because like, I kind of get it. It's kind of clever, but She's gonna stab you or something, right? She's not gonna just be like, "Well, I guess it's over."
1: She's like, just starts like fake walking away, and she's like, "Oh, okay. hushing. The movie,
0: the movie, also gets very soap opera, soap operay in the twist towards the end, where the last guy who was dead, but no, he wasn't really dead; he faked his death. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, and the reporter that's been hanging out with you for a while and telling your story to everybody, he's his son. Like, it gets very, like, weird. it's just coincidental and kind of, yeah, strange at the end. But I like that the the final action, oh, I'm wrong. There was some hardcore, there's some violence that shocked me in here now that I think about it. She cuts the one dude's hand off where she thinks it's the last guy that she's got to kill, but he was wearing a rubber mask. I'm telling you, it gets ridiculous at the end, listener.
1: Yeah, that was, I was like, what? But she
0: cuts his hands off, like, both, and I'm,
1: oh. Won't be putting any fake mask on anymore,
0: though, bucko. No. (laughs) The big climax scene takes place during um, this weird European influence party. Like, there's a bunch of white people. Like, for the most part, there's no white people in any of this. Till the end, when the last guy comes in, he's the one that's got ties with, like, you know, because he went off and, I'm assuming, lived over there for a while when he faked his death. Was setting up these, like, illegal, whatever, his illegal activities. And he come back and he's having a party with these people. So, it's like a masquerade party. Like Mm a... Ball. Yeah. That's where the final fights happen. Mm Mm-hmm. And then let's wrap this up. Is she shot or stabbed? She gets injured. I believe she's stabbed. She She's pretty much done. She walks out into the snow and she's walking all slow. And then I do how I like how this plays out. The daughter of the drunkard guy that I mentioned runs up and just like stabs her and looks at her like, Ugh, like, yeah, this is what you get. And the chick, Yuki, kind of smiles, and but also is getting teary because she's like dying. But kind of smiles and the chick kind of wigs out. She's like, uh, uh, and then runs off. It's like that chick was not expecting that reaction from her. So then, so then Yuki walks off in the snow falls over is like dying, but then she's like screams like irritated. And I don't know. It's interesting. So it seems like she's dead. And then she starts to like get up a bit and then there's credits. And like, what is that? This is vengeance. Never dies.
1: Vengeance never
0: died how, how do you have any opinions on how the, the movie ended? She didn't die.
1: Okay, cuz
0: there's Lady Snowblood too. No. She, there is Lady Snowblood too, but, you know.
1: Yeah, I think she I think she was, you know, wasn't ready for that reaction. But I think that's like I said it is. I think it's kind of that you're freeing me from the life of vengeance. No, yeah, I think Lady Snowblood. That was kind of a cool like scene though as she's like walking out and then she just like, "Well, bad."
0: <laughs> oh, and I think it looked great. That's like when I think of Lady Snowblood, of course, they really kind of nailed it with the title. But I think of that scene or that scene that I mentioned earlier where it looks like they're on a set. Where it's fresh white snow with a chicken white who's all bloodied up. And mm-hmm. she got a sword. And, like, that's, you know, yeah, that's Lady Snowblood. Makes sense.
1: It's like some guy runs out and I'm like, ah, she's the title. She's- I get
0: it. She even says early in the movie that she's Lady Snowblood. Mm-hmm. I, credits. Yeah. <laughs> but... But uh, Jasper. Yeah.
1: Ratings. I gave it, even though I said it was boring, I gave it a three and a half. I know I said that. You I said it, what? I, I know I said before we recorded that it was boring, but I give it a three and a half. Okay. The the blood spattering, I don't know, it just made me laugh. So three, three and a half? Yeah. Okay.
0: I'm going to give this movie four stars. Okay. That's actually come down quite a bit. Because when I hopped on to letterboxed.com listener, if you're on Letterboxd, give me a follow. Randall Sylvie on letterboxed.com. It's like Letterboxed without the ED. It's just XD at the end. I had initially rated this four and a half. So I actually could come down half a star. So I think for me where it came down a little bit is I don't find the movie slow. But the pacing's a little weird. Because there is that last act or so where suddenly it just feels like it's ramping up and it's not like it rushes through a bunch of story. In fact, it introduces a whole bunch of like new subplot, but it's so different. All the earlier stuff is like flashback searching out this new guy or the next guy killing them, this and that, like it's just going, it's kind of methodical a little bit. And then at the end, it's like all of a sudden here's this new stuff, this new character reporter, he's the son backstory twist, going to a party, all this, like it just kind of throws a bunch of stuff at the end. And the seventies, like I said, invade and it doesn't feel out of place and it's kind of fun. It makes it feel more lively, but it is weird. It's a weird, like there's a shift. And I think maybe that shift is not jarring, but it's a little odd. And that might've brought my rating down a little bit. That said, I'm constantly super impressed by the cinematography. Right. Other than the couple of weird shaky handheld stuff that I mentioned, it looks great. The picture still looks great. The colors are vivid and amazing. And, It's not afraid to be kind of experimental, do some weird different stuff, do some weird transitions into flashbacks that might be kind of confusing for a moment until you're like on board with what's going on. I think it's good. It's a great vengeance movie, except it's, I know she was trained to be a vengeance person, but it's still (laughs) a vengeance person, but it's still weird to me that, you know, she never, she never even knew her mom, let alone any of these people she's after. Like It's just so strange.
1: She's like, I'm here to kill you because I was kind of told to, so. Yeah,
0: because I basically, well, you know, whatever. I've been brainwashed to do
1: this. All right, so we watched Kill Bill Volume 1 from 2003. After Awakening from a Four-Year Coma, a former assassin wreaks vengeance on the team of assassins who betrayed her. Okay. This is uh, directed by Quentin Tarantino. Writers are Quentin Tarantino and Quentin Tarantino, apparently. Was it listed Twice? <laughs> yeah, I don't know why. Quentin Tarantino and Uma Thurman. Okay. As the writers? Yeah.
0: Interesting. Okay.
1: This is what it says. It says Quentin Tarantino, written by Quentin Tarantino. Quentin Tarantino character, of the bride as Q. And then Uma Thurman character, of the bride brightest U. That's weird. I've never seen it. Is yours, does yours. Does your website say. That's really
0: weird. What are you on? I am DB. Uh, the movie db. Org just says uh, Quentin Tarantino characters, director, writer. Oh, and it gives Uma Thurman a character's. Interesting. So she got a credit for an aspect
1: of the bride? Yeah, well, because apparently they, and according to the trivia, they came up with this during. Pulp Fiction? Pulp Fiction. Okay. And they said that they wanted to make a movie like this, but together. Interesting. So she helped create it, but I think he wrote it. Because he had the, he had the, um.
0: It did say, you, I did notice a weird credit. Something about, based on characters by QU. So is yeah. that Quentin and Uma? Quint, yeah, and Quentin. And oh, okay. That was also in the trivia.
1: Weird. But, yeah, they came up with it, and then she helped. The opening scene was her idea, the, where the bride is beat up and then shot. Okay. So, so, uh, it stars Uma Thurman as the bride. hmm Uh, Lucy Liu as o- Oren Ishii. Vivica A. Fox as Vernita Green. Uh, Daryl Hannah as Ellie Driver. Uh, David Carradine as Bill. Mm-hmm. Michael Madsen as Bud. And Julie Dreyfus as Sophie Fatale.
0: So we get, we get no Bill face and very little Michael Madsen in this. Okay, Kill Bill. Really, this movie is kind of essentially the reason we're doing Season Taron 3 now. The, re- the reason we're doing Tarantino movies this season, because it started, it all started with Jasper never seen Kill Bill mm-hmm. and then evolved to Jasper never seen Pulp Fiction and so on. And now we're like, well, Reservoir we're going to watch them all. We're going to watch them all. So I've seen Kill Bill many times. I seen Kill Bill volume one in the theater. Initial reactions then I was honestly, I was a little disappointed upon this rewatch. No, this is totally entertaining. But what about you? You'd heard of this, obviously, mm-hmm. but you'd never seen this before?
1: No, uh, so weirdly, so 2003, I'd have been fourteen. Weird. Okay. Yeah. I
0: was out of high school already. It's weird when you I put it that way. i
1: thir- have been No, I'd have been fifteen. Holy crap. So at that age, for some reason, I was still that was still um a movie not not for me. Okay. My older brother watched it, his friend uh Bobby watched it. This was a big movie with them, but I was never allowed to watch it until, by the time that I could watch it, it was just out of my 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 mind space. But I've always heard of the movie. Always heard mm-hmm. lines. I've always heard how this is like one of Uma Thurman's best movies. But yeah,
0: okay. So it's safe to say there's a lot of hype on this for you. Yeah. Did it live up to the hype?
1: For me, yeah, I did. Okay. I I really liked the style. I really liked the the. The cinematography, how they kind of, other again, like I said, like the last one was the, the blood spraying, but how how much they stayed to realism with it. Okay, okay.
0: I find in terms of the blood, this movie, I mean, it's Tarantino, so he'll do this. Uh, I mean, look at Django. We'll, um, we'll talk about Django later, obviously. But there's moments where the violence is very realistic. The blood is realistic. It's brutal, gross. And then there's moments where, it's garden hose blood where it's cut a head off or an arm off. And it's just a 20 foot spray of thin, I'm assuming red. I don't know. We, the movie was censored in America and, uh, spray into the air for like 15 seconds. So it's, it's a little bit of all of it in in that respect. I don't know why I was initially disappointed with this movie because like watching it now, this is exactly the kind of movie I would have, I I'm into like, it's a vengeance movie. Ridiculous, you know, it's the sam. It's got all the it's got most of the samurai uh, conventions, the, the tropes and stuff like that. You know, it's got a whole section dedicated to just going to get a special sword made for her. Mm-hmm. You know, To sword. But I'm not sure what I was expecting at the time. But yeah, no, this rewatch, again, I've seen it several times since. But I enjoyed it quite a bit. I enjoyed it quite a bit. I enjoyed watching it because I did watch. Lady Snowblood before rewatching this, I've never watched them so close together. So I can kind of compare. And I mean, yeah, there's, there's some of the shots are definitely, I mean, the premise and other movies have done the same premise, of course, but the premise of there's what, five, four, five people she's after, mm-hmm. I guess four, whatever, no, and kill bill. It's definitely five. Yeah, it's five, And it'll keep cutting to them stand the four of four of them or so because bill isn't in that shot standing over her, looking at her. And Lady Snowblood does the same thing with the four people standing there. And in fact, there's parts in Lady Snowblood where it's just missing the wah, 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 the sound, like that uh that alarm sound that Tarantino pulled from. I can't remember what movie offhand, but anytime Kill Bill, anytime she sees one of the people that she's after, it does the cam it does that kind of 70 zoom, except it's not so shaky. It does that 70 zoom to the eyes. Mm. And you get that, like, alarm sound, right? Mm. Lady Snowblood has several of those moments. It just doesn't have the alarm sound. And rewatching that with Melanie, I looked over and I was like, it's just missing that sound. That right there, that's where that sound goes. It's fun. It's Tarantino, this movie. It's Tarantino. So it's still got that mixture of, man, he loves, uh, because I've been searching up Tarantino movies and probably because Google listens to everything we say. Lots of YouTube, lots of Tarantino interviews and stuff have been popping up on YouTube and stuff for me. So I've been watching a few of them and he's even said like, that's a big part of why he likes making movies. There's a lot of contradictory stuff in here that makes you, there's a lot of stuff that like one scene, it's supposed to be like rah rah fun. And then there, another scene, it's supposed to make you feel like just gross and filthy and dirty and not good. And it's intentional, and he intentionally puts that stuff and like weaves that stuff together because he likes to manipulate the audience. And there's a bit of that. There's the scene, you know, where she was in a coma for a long time, and there's the the Vaseline and the, you know, my name's that Buck. That bottle of
1: Vaseline, dude. dude. Right, that thing was nasty. That whole
0: that whole scene, the speech that guy's talk with the with the guy that popped up in Death Proof, uh, the Billy Madison guy. What's his? not the Billy Masson guy, but the guy that popped up used to be in Adam Sandler movies with the voice. Uh-huh. He's in this. He's the guy that's, you know, by some time with unconscious Uma or the unconscious bride, I should say, it makes it real creepy when I used her actress name. But that scene is so weird because it's definitely supposed to be skeevy, skeeve you out, be gross, but also it feels like it's played for laughs in a way. That Vaseline thing, it's, it's so gross, but at the same time, it's like, over the top where it's supposed to kind of be funny. I think, I don't know. Like it's so weird, but then, you know, the whole last section of the movie is all like it's violent, but it's all fun. It's all for fun. And in the moment where she's like, you know, you leave your limbs here. They belong to me. Like it's so ridiculous and over the top, but it's supposed to be fun. And it is. So I don't know. It's interesting that mixture. I feel like this movie probably like leans more towards trying to be more fun than make you feel bad yeah. most of the time. So it's definitely more popcorn movie than some of his earlier stuff. There was like kind of a larger message in a way to like Pulp Fiction and maybe even Reservoir Dogs, although probably not. But we had, so we had Mike Wood with, uh, from Grindbin podcast on last episode. And he was saying that he felt like Tarantino's later movies, he just straight up embraced genre movie. It's like, I'm going to do, a samurai movie. I'm going to do a Western. I'm going to do this like just straight. And I can, even though death proof comes after kill bill, I kind of definitely feel that with, with kill bill a little bit where it's just like straight. I just want to do this genre. I'm sorry. I've been talking for a while. You talk.
1: No, I was was enjoying your talk.
0: (laughs) I don't know where it was. Jasper. I was just going (laughs) listener. I was just going, I don't know if I had direction. So (laughs) let me recenter myself. You talk for a
1: bit. No. uh, So what I liked about this movie was like, so the whole first, so she's unconscious, she's in the hospital, and I kind of like, uh, David Carradine, like, you know, as Bill is talking nice and slowly on the phone, yeah, yeah, and that late cuts back to that lady, and she's like, ah! <laughs> it's like she is going insane, uh huh, and it was, she's like, okay, you know, that's. But he's like, yeah, we're not going to, we're not, because she wants to inject her with something. And he's like, we're not going to do that. We're going to let her basically come after us. You know,
0: they almost had her too. Like, I mean, she was there. That would have (laughs) been.
1: And credits. (laughs) Yep, yep. But uh, I really like how it it started out. And so when she goes to, was her nickname Copperhead's house? The first lady, Vivica A. Fox's house. I want to say it's Copperhead.
0: To Vivica A. Fox.
1: Yeah. Yeah. When she pulls that gun on her and he shoot, shoots her and the cereal box says kaboom on it. Did it? I didn't yeah. even notice it said kaboom. Yeah. They, they, I guess it was a Quentin Tarantino trademark. But I I caught it when I first saw it. I was like, that's hilarious.
0: I didn't catch that. That's great. Yeah.
1: Just like that. And then the whole fight scene in the house. And then that kid's there. And she kind of just tells that kid basically to come after her later in life.
0: I really like that. And that feels the most like
1: part three. There's the setup. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The whole first part of this movie is is just kind of weird. It's like, it's a Tarantino movie right there. When she's sitting in the back of Buck's truck and she's like, just wiggle your big toe.
0: And I like that they use that moment to like, okay, now we're going to go to flashback. Did they do the training flashback during that scene? I think so. Yeah. Got to have that training flashback with the old master or whatever. Mm -hmm. What was the flashback? doesn't matter.
1: But yeah, she's just sitting in the back chair, wiggle you. now the big part, now the, the worst part's over. She's like, you know, trying to center herself and get her, her motor skills and stuff back up.
0: Two things. One, I'm not going to give this a sound effect, but if we had a sound effect for like, you know, word of the day, it'd go off now. Tarantino foot shot of the day. Every Tarantino movie. That's how I was like, Every Tarantino.
1: was her a foot shot? And I was like, never mind, there yeah, was.
0: Yeah. He loves them, dude. He loves them. At least there's the, the context for it in this one, you know? Mm. I do like that scene. It seems like she probably sat in there all over, overnight trying to get her toes to work. And there's jumps in time. So between that happening and when she shows up at Vivica A. Fox's character's house, she's still got the truck, but who knows what, how much time is there. Mm. It is quite unrealistic that she like basically is able to will all the atrophy out of her body overnight. <laughs> Right. Yeah, whatever, whatever. Listen, that's not the end of the unrealistic stuff with the series of movies. So the movie in general is real bright and colorful. But that first scene, the truck, the outside, the suburban area, everything in the house, it's so bright and colorful and super saturated. It's kind of amazing. It doesn't look like anything else Tarantino shot, at least especially up to that point to where it's almost like kids programming colorful you know what i mean Mm -hmm. it's 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 so extreme and it's an interesting juxtaposition because leading into that the first scene i believe is the beat up uma face right with the bill's little speech about him you know this is me being my most masochistic or whatever yeah and I don't know if it was – if the black and white is how they wanted it or if that's a censorship issue because we'll get into that too. They
1: said in the trivia it was a censorship issue. Okay. For the MPA.
0: I hate the black and white later. I hate it. I hate it. Like seriously, you have to censor – it's the garden hose blood. Is that what you have to censor? It's ridiculous. It's the most unrealistic blood in the world. However, and I also hate that they had to censor it here, but I think it looks good here because they went super high contrast black and white then. And it just makes it look even more filthy. And she looks terrible. And he's like, probably fry an egg on your forehead. And like, it looks like it. That opening scene is brutal. And so as it is, the censorship, censored version, you go from that really gross, high contrast, black and white to boom, (sighs) Disney world colors in your face. Like it's insane. So that's pretty interesting. And you know, the scenes vary for how colorful they are. But there's strong color throughout the whole movie. Like, it's very stylized in that respect. And I, I like it because it doesn't look like there's a lot of aspects to this movie that are unlike, that are basically like a whole lot of other movies, but are unlike anything Tarantino had done at that point. And I think since, I know I'm jumping all over the place, but particularly now when I think of Tarantino, I don't think of quick cut action scenes and stuff like that. Like, he'll do gunshot stuff, even quick action gunshot, where, you know, it's just an explosion of. of violence and it's all very fast and jarring but he doesn't there's not a lot of like straight up ongoing action scenes fight scenes and I don't think of quick camera movements when I think Tarantino filmmaking but like that final fight during not the final final fight but the final fight with the crazy 88 and it just keeps going on and on like that fight scene is so good like it's done so well and there's so much the camera's moving around the sound design I'm not a fan of any of the music during that part but the sound design is awesome and very, very stylized. Parts of it seemed, felt very like Sam Raimi to me in a way. It's just the way the sounds are and the quick cuts and the close up to it, somebody's head is they're like just flying through the air. And it's just like very kinetic filmmaking. And it, I don't know, definitely appreciate that aspect of it. Basically, he's just good at whatever he wants to do. It's irritating. He's irritatingly good at everything he wants to do, <laughs> except maybe acting.
1: Yes. <laughs>
0: Ooh, I don't think he was in this th- anywhere. Maybe the first one with no Tarantino.
1: So my thing with this was the was the cinematography and the, especially the, the crazy eighty eight fight. Like mm-hmm. oh God, I was laughing so hard when you hear like the bowling pins when she flips. <laughs> right. The, uh, right. Go go over. Uh, Tarantino movies will commonly go that's what I mean.
0: Tarantino movies he'll go over the top and ridiculous. Mm-hmm. But he did things that felt uncharacteristic for his filmmaking. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the bowling pin sounds when he uh, when she knocks over a bunch of like it goes ridiculously over the top. Right. Sorry, continue.
1: I was also kind of laughing in the trivia that I guess when Gogo uses the mace, she was supposed to throw it past the camera and she actually hit Quentin Tarantino on the head with it. So, really? Yeah. I feel like the fight was a lot of the movie. Um, the crazy eighty eight fight and then the fight with Gogo. It was just so weird, like how she's basically it looks like she's basically fighting a kid. But like I said, I like the way that Uma was, I feel like she really practiced for this role because she, you know, she did all the, she's very fluid in her. Her her fighting looked good. See,
0: unlike what I I was saying with Lady Snowblood to where the actress, she wasn't, the actress like was good, but she wasn't really selling some of those moves. Mm -hmm. Seems like she was struggling a little bit. Uma nails it. And at times, this is where um, we talked about it last episode, the lady who played Zoe. In Death Proof, mm-hmm. was Uma's st- actual? She's an actual stunt person, and she was Uma stunt double in this. So you know, sometimes it's Uma, I'm sure sometimes it's her, but either way, they were both selling the moves to me.
1: Right. Yeah. So like, I love the whole the man from Okinawa part. Um, I think it was part what two or chapter two. What does he say like I'm not bald? I shaved. You know. He's like, do you understand? You know, like that weird bit of comedy
0: where there's like these, yeah, where these characters are kind of like a comedic duo, out of nowhere. But it is funny. It works. It works. And that even feels out of place with the rest. It doesn't feel out of place, but it, like that's unlike any other part of. This is part of what Tarantino's so good at. That character, it turns out, the one guy's Hanzo, Hattori, and. He's not in it a whole lot. And why does, why is there this little, why is he a part of a comedy duo for a moment before it turns out like she knows who he actually is. But Tarantino's good at like these little bit characters where you're just like, I would watch that movie. I mm-hmm. want to see those guys. What What's their deal? Right. What's their history? Like, yeah,
1: it, it was fun. When he makes a sword, they get all like serious. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. You know, the guy that was bickering with him as like holding the sheath and mm-hmm. very ceremoniously giving her the sword. But I just, that was one of my favorite parts of the movie. I, my
0: major complaint with that section of the movie is maybe dial it back a little bit with the like almost romance or the soothing love music while she's looking at all the swords. It's okay, like, we get it. We get it. We so, don't need literal sword especially porn right when now. she's
1: like, oh, can I touch it? He's like, you may.
0: Yeah. Like I get it in terms of a samurai movie. The swords are like the, whoa, they're like the fetish object. Right. But it's, maybe dial it back a little bit. Come on, come on. Or shorten it up. I don't know. And again, Tarantino's just good at crafting like interesting scenes. That first encounter with Vivica a. Fox, where you mentioned the the cereal box and all that, just that whole setup is great. They wreck the house and then the daughter comes home and the look that Vivica Fox gives Uma Thurman their little conversation where they're like okay we want some coffee okay so they're going to stop the fight and like have some coffee or whatever and kind of call a truce and then it leads up to the cereal box and i just like all that all that setup is great i'm kind of conflicted on Uma Uma's performance in terms of dialogue like i get it it's even the dialogue is kind of stylized and delivered a very specific way. I just don't know if I buy all of it. Like in terms of the delivery, Uma Thurman is good. Don't get me wrong, mm-hmm. and it's not supposed to sound natural, like a natural, like the way a person naturally speaks. I don't know. Some of the dialogue is a bit much, like over the top. It's too that ven- it's a vengeance movie dialogue, like. The actual dialogue itself is fine. It's just the delivery of it's very serious. It feels like they're delivering it like you would deliver it if you were in an actual samurai movie, but it's modern day, not Japanese. Like it just seems weird and it doesn't always work for me. That's probably for me, maybe the weakest part of it. Highlights for me, that first fight scene, the nurse sequence with the music Mm-hmm. Again, I wish I I should have wrote down what all these cues are. They're all known. They're all taken from known shows. I love it. I love the song that plays, uh, the whistle, when the, mm. the whistling when she that whole that's such a good sequence. And then even after okay, so the buck you know, I'm here to whatever that whole thing. I'm here to truck that sets up like that whole thing is awesome because it leads to that pan that slow pan to where it's not even actual slow motion. It's like kind of jerky because it's like they just, they didn't shoot increased frame rate. It's just kind of ch- 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 panned down to her on the ground with the knife before she cuts his ach- Achilles and then he falls over. But j- the buildup with that music, and again, I wish I knew the song, but I actually looked that up. That's from a uh, Italian Jalo uh, movie. Love it. So good, that song. That stuff is awesome. I actually really liked the Crazy 88 fight more this time. Also, it goes on for way longer than I remember.
1: I love how you heard all the motorcycles pull up.
0: Because she has a big epic fight scene before they even get there. Mm -hmm. Does she fight the chick with the whatever, the spinny? Believe before. Before. Mm -hmm. Yeah. The crazy 88 didn't even have to be there. And it almost still would have felt fine. But the fact that she fights all these bad guys, then that chick, the mini boss, quote unquote, basically. And then, like, they could have went to... Oren instead then 88 roughly a whole bunch of dudes, like motorcycles come up, dudes pour in and then you just get an insane fight scene that goes on for quite a while. And then the Oren fight, which is maybe that's part of my issue is I appreciate the Oren fight for what it is, but it kind of feels very anticlimactic given the insane action sequences we just got. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And I guess that's the point is like, we're going to cap it off with, a different kind of fight scene. It's going to be, you know, much more measured paced strategic fight scene. You're going to wait and strike at the right time as opposed to just waves of dudes and limbs flying and stuff. Right. And I could be wrong, but I feel like we've never gotten the uncensored release here. And I'm infinitely irritated by that. I don't like that. It goes black and white. I appreciate that Tarantino at least was able to, Set up a transition for it where she blinks her eyes, but it bugs me.
1: I think they said, what was it, Japan that got the uncensored version?
0: Somewhere did. I don't remember where, which is surprising to me that we haven't got it yet. I'm also surprised we haven't got the the whole bloody affair version, which is the uncut entire volume one and two full movie the way Tarantino wanted it.
1: I was about to say the Tarantino version.
0: I will say, now you haven't seen volume two yet. I have watched volume one and two back to back. At least twice, in the the, over the years, it's a bit, it's a bit much. It's so long, like dude, this movie's like two
1: two hours long, over two hours maybe. And see, that's what this is half the movie. Yeah, what's weird is it didn't feel like that to me because I was like so engaged in it Mm -hmm. that I, I was like, man, this movie's good.
0: Tarantino's just good at that, right? Like he can make typically what would be kind of the lull portions of movies entertaining. Right. He can make an entire movie out of what's usually the lull between action in movies. But this has got like, there's action scenes, there's stuff, there's plot stuff. I don't know. It's just, it's a whole lot of style. And not to say there's no substance, but it's just, it's a whole lot of style. It's just pure stylist movie. And that's okay. I think that works for me.
1: Right. I think one of, like, the, one of the moments that caught me off guard was when she cut Sophie's arm off. I thought she had like stabbed her through the back and she's kind of just holding her there. And then she's only goes, whack. <laughs> oh, she's not playing around. And then rolls her down a hill. That was funny.
0: So the flashbacks are one thing, but the decision to play the actual revenge murders out in a weird order in, in out of order, Mm
1: -hmm.
0: I don't know if it's necessary. I like how it flows here. I like opening with that bright Vivica Fox scene, but it's a weird choice to show you that she's already, when that scene happens, she's already crossed. Wait, she's already crossed somebody off the list. Yeah. Ishii.
1: That doesn't make any sense to me. Yeah, she has Ishii's name wrote off. That's what I thought was weird about this movie because she goes to Vilka's that, that
0: first. That doesn't make any sense. So, like, it's fine if he wants to, like, play these chapters out, out of order. He's mm-hmm. Tarantino. He's going to do that. In Pulp Fiction, I like the nonlinear narrative, the structure. In this, it doesn't seem necessary. But also, when I think about it, it doesn't make sense. She's still driving the p wagon. Like, does she seriously still have the wagon from when she escaped from the hospital before she killed anyone? Like, so she put that in parking for months on end while she went to Japan?
1: Yeah. So, I, the same question I was asking myself. I, that's
0: never occurred to me because since she has the truck, I assumed that was shortly after her getting out of the hospital. Right. But if she's already killed, like Oren, she went straight there. There's no way. There's at least months and months. She was there at least a month waiting for her sword to get made.
1: Yeah, so that's a month.
0: Uh, it hadn't really occurred to me before.
1: That got me because she's in the, when she's in the truck, Ishii's name is crossed off. And I was like, but then we went, the ending of the movie is her taking out Ishii. I was like, okay.
0: It doesn't seem all that necessary
1: to have it out of order.
0: Mm-hmm. You can tell your story however you want, Tarantino. I'm not telling him not to do it. I, it just doesn't seem like as necessary. Like Pulp Fiction kind of feels like that's the way it needs to be watched. You know what I mean? That order. Okay. How about highlights for you Um, before we roll in. Crazy
1: 88 fight. Mm -hmm. The Ishii fight was really good. I liked that. I liked the set piece there. My thing was, was it snowing when she went in? I don't remember it snowing. I don't think so. (laughs) That little
0: courtyard they fight in, Mm -hmm. I don't think that exists in any reality. (laughs) Because,
1: again. Apparently, it's on another dimensional plane because it wasn't snowing. That, I love the whole Copperhead scene because like the whole house is broken and she's like, oh, the dog came in and ran around. <laughs> oh, and
0: her delivery is perfect.
1: The dog broke in here and acted a
0: fool or something like yeah. that. Like the way she put it, I really enjoyed.
1: One thing that irritated me, and I know, of course, movie, but Sophie would have bled out by the time, especially oh, when yeah. you're garden hosing your blood out.
0: Oh, I just want to comment again on similarities. That Oren fight specifically is very Lady Snowblood in a couple ways. Obviously, you got Oren in kind of a white outfit, not exactly the same. Feels like there's more like maybe flowery stuff or details on hers, but a white outfit, snow, swords, uh, blood, and you know, very reminiscent of that. But also the fact that that little courtyard seems to exist in its own plane of existence. You know, it's it's its own reality it feels like a set and there's like no attempt to not make it feel like a set because if you, there's a building over there, but if you look at the sky, guess what? It's just black. It's very much like that one set only, you know, it's more squared. So it's squared off. It's not as obvious, but it's just like that one set. I commented on during our lady snowblood talk. It's clearly, it's not like meant to look like this is outside or sky. It's just black. It's like a stage. It's mm-hmm. a, obviously a set and it's supposed to look that way. Jasper. Yes. Our rating system is not going to get all wacky like it did oh, last time.
1: Damn it. I was about to make a joke too. <laughs> Nobody commented on, I took, dude, I did take the time. I did. I said it was amazing. You did, but I had to send it to you. I actually screenshot it and sent it to my mother.
0: Did you? Mm-hmm. Listener, if you haven't checked out, go to the website, go to grogspodcast.com and check out our last episode. I did it. Okay. The thing I wouldn't do, I'm not going to alter the, the star ratings, blah, blah, blah. I, I went crazy with it anyway. So Jasper, Not to give spoilers on yours, but you sent me a message. I have a feeling as soon as you finished Kill Bill, and you just wrote Kill Bill, six out of five. (laughs) Yes, I said Kill Bill dot dot, six stars. (laughs) So, Jesper, what's your rating?
1: Five. (laughs) Five stars, okay. can't go outside the, we got it. We have rules that must be followed. Five out of five. Loved loved just the whole feeling of this movie. I loved the action. Like I said, they, they didn't go over the top. Um, Other, of course, other than garden hose blood, but we love it. Mm -hmm. Um, But I love the story. I love how like calm she is, but you know, she's been through a whole crap ton. I love at the end where he says, does she know that her daughter's still alive? Like this whole time you're thinking is her daughter still alive, but five out of five for me. Oh,
0: Michael parks. Also the sheriff from he was, well, this was first, but he was in death proof.
1: Did you catch yeah, that? Yeah, because he says "son number one" again. Uh huh. I was like, ah, yep. I know that. <laughs> it's the same character. This was before Death Proof, right? Yeah, this was okay. before Death Proof.
0: And yet, Death Proof is—he doesn't. Tarantino doesn't claim that one anyway. So, I give this four stars out of five. I think it's awesome. Ooh, I think I gotta it. Hear this. I think it's what? I got to hear
1: this. Oh, oh! You didn't go
0: five stars. Yeah, I'm just gonna give this four. I think it's really well made. I think it's highly entertaining. It's very fun. Again, rewatching it, it really struck me how it's so Tarantino, but at the same time, he's doing a lot of things that I hadn't seen in other Tarantino stuff, showcasing other abilities and skills as a director. I think. Yeah. And I, if I could be wrong, but there's no Tarantino, so that's plus. But. There's something about it still. I think it's a little bit the deliver like Uma's delivery of some of the lines doesn't just doesn't work, and it's not her acting. It's just it doesn't work. It doesn't work for me for, in some way. I like Uma. I like her in as the character like in this movie. It just doesn't feel right to me. There's something about it that's off. It's not my favorite Tarantino. I like it a lot. Again, four stars is a super high rating, but it does feel much more surface level than some of his other stuff. In that it's it's. It doesn't feel like there's a whole lot going on beneath it. It's it's what you get it's what it is. It's what you get. It's a revenge movie with Uma Thurman being awesome, running around, killing people, and not to say there's not more to it, but I don't think there's as much below the surface of like the writing as some of his other movies, if that makes sense, in terms of characters and stuff. It's the characters are by kind of nature of the genre much more flat. They're pretty much just, you know, whatever the bad guys and
1: also said the guys like the one with the slick back hair and the masquerade mask. I thought those guys looked straight like four characters out of Final Fantasy. Oh really? Like the one with the slick back hair and
0: they're very much, um they're very much a throwback to like I wanna say like Green Hornet or something. That means nothing to you. It's fine. It's fine. It doesn't need to mean anything to you.
1: I'm just thinking the Seth Rogen Green Also,
0: her yellow outfit is completely a throwback to Bruce Lee's. Yeah, very uh, popular yellow outfit. I like how they did it. I think it was smart to like his jumper, but they did, went leather motorcycle. Had the motorcycle helmet there. It's like obviously the same, but not like she's cosplaying as Bruce Lee. Like they tweaked just enough to be like, okay, I get it. It's like an homage, but it's not a cosplay. And maybe that's a good like description of what Tarantino does as a filmmaker. Hey, Jasper. As everyone knows, including the studios. A strong central female protagonist is doing well in the box office. But people are tired of superheroes. They maybe want an anti-hero. So they picked up the rights to Lady Snowblood and Kill Bill. How would you combine these two angry, vengeful ladies into one cinematic
1: universe? So the way I had it was that Snowblood was Oren's grandmother, great-grandmother at this time. Because I think it's late, late 1800s. Uh-huh. So, okay, so this is like origin stories, but then the third one would have to be a prequel as to when the bride and Oren were running around together. Okay. And then just a crazy garden hose blood killing just fast. <laughs> okay. You know what I'm
0: saying? Mm-hmm. But so man, you're saying Kill Bill Volume 3 would be a prequel. Is that what you mean by the yeah. third one? Okay. Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay.
1: That's what I had.
0: Okay, so Oren did to me seem like kind of the easy connection to make, but because that,
1: like she didn't fit in with any other character, my because I wanted to make like spoiler spoiler alert almost went end game and that she was going to travel through time and come in, but you can't add that; it's not realistic to the point. <laughs> okay, all. even in end game. <laughs> I do
0: also appreciate that like it's very much Fox Force Five, which is the show that Uma's character says she was on a pilot of in Pulp Fiction. That's not necessarily my angle though. Oren seemed like the easy connection. So I'm not going to do that. Kill Bill and Lady Snowblood. These movies take place. They're a part, they are already part of a cinematic universe, a saga. And mm-hmm. I call it the spirit of vengeance saga because it's going to be kind of in a way and not to reference Buffy, but I'm going to reference Buffy in that, Every generation there's one or a Highlander. There can only be one where the spirit of vengeance is basically, uh, it's like the Slayer or whatever. It's every generation it's re uh, resurrected in someone right now. We're going to go ahead and say, yeah, it's Uma later. It will be for future movies. It will be the daughter of Vivica Fox. Maybe there's a couple of spirits of vengeance or whatever. So we'll get this story with like the lady snowblood chick. For a while, and I know there's a Lady Snowblood too. I've never watched it. That's not what our review is, but we'll put that in there too. And a series of movies between that and Kill Bill, and where it's it's you know we maybe we'll have another lady in there, another character at some point, and we can get a saga with her. But they all should be tangentially tied in some way. So I'll say Hattori Hanzo is going to be like a through line for a lot of these movies. Maybe he'll come up in a, 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 a one of the Lady Snowblood sequels. And uh, oh no, that'd make him really old, When it? Well, not if the Lady Snowblood sequels go for long enough. That's it. The second Spirit of Vengeance before it was Uma. And that whole story is why Hatori Hanzo stopped making swords. That whole storyline. We'll get that backstory. That'll be the in-between trilogy. Mm. And I'm going to jump back real quick. I know I'm changing things on the fly, but that's how we do. I think K. Fox's daughter is a misdirect. I don't think she's the next Spirit of Vengeance. I think, assuming she's alive... Like they say she is at the end of this movie. Uh, for all intents and purposes, I don't know what happens in volume two. But much like Lady Snowblood, at this point, uh, Uma Thurman's character's daughter, did they say daughter? Yeah. It just never doesn't know her mom. She's the next spirit of vengeance.
1: So do so do her and Vivica a. Fox's daughter have a fight yes. in the same house? they
0: will. They will have a fight. Yes. They will, definitely. Okay. At some point, we're going to figure out how to wrangle in the uh, the Vengeance trilogy. I can't remember the director's name, but like uh, Sympathy for Mr. Vengeance. And there's a an uh, excellent trilogy of uh, like Korean Vengeance movies. Park Chan-wook? And that might be his name. I don't know. We're going to loop those in somehow. And it's just going to be a huge Vengeance c- c- cinematic universe. In which really nothing good ever happens because nothing good can come of Vengeance. It should be a bunch of people wronging each vengeance other. Vengeance is mine. The <laughs> it's just going to be a bunch of people wronging each other. And then their offspring who never really knew them in the first place, seeking vengeance. It's just going to be a t- because you know what, as they say, it's just a never ending really cycle. a
1: visual of them just coming out of the Bergen Canal and fighting each other. <laughs> but-
0: See, that's when the movie, that's when the cinematic universe is going to jump the chart. It's when two babies birth <laughs> straight out oh, of the she- womb and then right at each other in midair battle, and one of them's trying to strangle them with their own umbilical cord. You're like, what happened to this franchise? That's the death of the <laughs> Spirit of Vengeance that's, franchise.
1: That's Spirit of Vengeance
0: 9. Or that's when it really finds its footing. <laughs> Makes a turn there. And then somehow, eventually, that just turns into Battle Royale. Well, that's it. So next episode, listener, I hope you've enjoyed this episode. Next episode, we're going to be talking about uh, Kill Bill Volume 2, I am, hopefully, we will have a guest, and that guest will most likely be uh, Jesse Kiefer from Grolix Podcast. because he Jesse I, from Grolix? He really wanted to talk Volume 1, Kill Bill Volume 1. He likes, that's his favorite of the two, but we were unable to link up schedules. So, hopefully, he'll join us next episode. I don't have the movie ironed out just yet. I kind of want to do something with Sonny Chiba, who was in Volume 1. I believe he's in Volume 2 as well, though. But we'll see. And, listener, it's coming up real soon. Ocon Expo 2019 in Council Bluffs, Iowa. It's the Omaha Comic-Con, essentially.
1: Which is funny. That's called Omaha Comic-Con, but it's in Council Bluffs. Weird.
0: Yes. Plot twist. We're going to be there. We're going to have an official presence. We're going to have a table there. All of us. Not just Grolic's Podcast. Jasper's going to be there. Grolix Cinematic Universe will be represented Grawlix Podcast, all of us will be there at some point in the weekend. Uh, well, Melanie said she'll be there all weekend, so me, you, and Melanie will be there, and Jesse will also be there, because he's always there. Um, he, he'll he'll have another table, but all four of the GFAM are going to be there. GFAM? We'll be there all weekend. Come check us out. Tickets, I don't know what they are offhand, but they're reasonable, and uh, it's a pretty good-sized con. Also, Flash Gordon's going to be there. Flash... Ah, he's going to be there. How awesome is that? What was that, our second episode? I think it was our second episode we did Flash. So maybe we'll maybe we have to go talk to him. I don't know. Maybe. All right, Jasper.
1: Yeah. Where can people find you? You can find me on Twitter. I was like Tokyo, but anyway. Tokyo. Twitter, I'll tell you later. You can find me on Twitter at Caronzo Media, which is K O. R-A-N-S-O, media. Where else? And on Mixer at Mixer.com slash Karando, which is K-O-R-A-N-S-O. You
0: got any streams coming up? You doing some streaming?
1: Uh, I will be as soon as this week is over after my uh, 31st birthday. Nice. Getting some schedule laid down, getting some things out of the way. You need to pick even
0: just one. You need to pick a day and a time. Be like, I'm going to try it. This is the day I'm streaming.
1: Yeah, no, we're going to do some... uh, we're going to do some Dead Space. We're going to do probably Oh, yeah. Some, you were talking about doing yeah, Dead Space. Which Dead Space? Dead Space. We're going to start the first one. And then do some probably Red Dead and uh, Division. Division is going to be a big one.
0: Sweet. If you can find people to play with you.
1: Yes. <laughs> or I'll just stand in the middle of the street and sing all by myself again.
0: <laughs> okay. I've been Randall Sylvie. You can find me on Twitter as well at Sylvie. It's R-A-N-D-A-L-S-I-L-V-E-Y or RandallSylvie.com. Kind of a portal to all my other things. The Podcast Network, PodEdit.com, all that. More importantly, though, forget that loser. Check out GrawlixPodcast.com where you can find this podcast and the Grolix Podcast. And you can follow our show on Twitter at GCU Podcast. We're also on Facebook at Grawlix Podcast. You listen, to, you do know, do the things. If you're this far into the show, you know what we are.
1: Yep. You know what we are. You have you have you like decided it. to listen to us on the media on which we're about to say Spotify.
0: Stitter. Castbox. Anchor. Apple Podcasts. Anchor Dot FM. Yep. My name is Lady Snowblood. You killed my father. Prepare to die, Prepare to die.
1: Have a lot of those? We didn't. One, I forgot which one it was. Mm -hmm. Sounds like we need to
0: watch some more German cinema. No. (laughs) Why? You just discounted an entire nation's cinema over (laughs) a hundred years of a nation's history. They probably took a break from movies we'd want to watch for a, for a while, for, for about between a decade the, during the, the, you know, the 30s 19, and 40s. 1938,
1: 1945. <laughs> Maybe we'll take a break from those movies.
0: <laughs> Their early stuff, the expressionistic stuff during the silent era, whew, amazing. Anyway.